This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. This morning we're continuing, actually we're finishing a series that we started a few weeks ago called Redeemed. Everybody say Redeemed. If your mouth didn't move, I can see it because I'm up here. Say redeemed. redeemed. Awesome. So redeemed, right? To reconcile something back to something else, to redeem it, to bring it back to its full value, its full purpose, right? It's a powerful thing. So we talked about who? We talked about Bathsheba, right? That's crazy, right? That's dope. Uh, we talked about Joseph, also another dope one, the homie Joseph, right? Then who else? Who, who am I missing? You guys, I know this, but do you know this? Who? Somebody said Zacchaeus, close, Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, the tree climber. And so uh, we've been talking about some really good stuff today. I'm excited, though, because I get to talk about my, one of my favorite passages, stories, parts, history from Scripture today. Uh, we were mapping out who was going to talk about what and uh, who was going to take what, what person from Scripture um, and so when this one was thrown on the table, I was like, me, 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 me. So uh, today, without further ado, I introduce to you our star of the show, Jesus. But then the co-star today will be Saul of Tarsus. Have you guys ever heard of Saul of Tarsus? You can just say yes. Or you don't have to say yes. You can just go, which kind of counts as a yes if you don't want to lie in church, okay? So Saul of Tarsus, uh, he's a beast. Before we get into that, I'm going to tell you why I love this, uh, th- this story from Scripture so much. Uh, through ministry and through working with uh, teenagers, through working with different people, you hear a lot of, of reasons why people feel like they can't go to church. They feel like they can't be a part of church. They feel like church people won't want anything to do with them, right? And, and, and a lot of times, just in my experience, I've talked to teenagers, adults, uh, people who have gone through a divorce, people who are dealing with different struggles and addictions, and I'll talk to them and I'll say, man, why don't you just come to church? And they'll say things like, man, I can't go into a church. I'll spontaneously combust. I'm so bad I can't go in there, right? Like I'll get struck with lightning. Like they say things like this and I'm like, but why? Why do you feel like that? And, they, and then they always say some kind of version of this. They say, you have no idea the kind of things that I've done. You have no idea the kind of things that I've done. You have no idea the kind of things that I do currently. You don't know what I've struggled with. You don't know what I think about on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I'm a freak. You know what I'm saying? I'm kidding. They don't say that. That's weird. Um, so, right? And, and it's always some kind of version. <laughs> Ooh, it's always some kind of version of that, right? You have no idea what I've done. Or I've heard this one before. I've talked to students. Actually, no joke, this, this happened with a student uh, uh, like three or four weeks ago. Uh, I was talking to them, and they felt like, man, I'm just going to stop coming to church, whatever, just out of nowhere. And I was like, why? And they were like, because you don't get it. Like, you, you don't understand. I don't get. You talk about God. You talk about Jesus. You talk about forgiveness. There's no way God would want to forgive me. Why would God want to forgive me after the things that I've done or I've thought or I've said. I had a student tell me the other day that he's working on this forgiveness thing in his own life, and uh, he forgave a friend who, like, really wronged him uh, recently, like, really wronged him. I guess families were involved in everything, and uh, he was real upset, came to church, he was crying, and, and, I, and I pulled him aside when we were done. I said, yo, like, what's up? What are you going through? And he said, man, listen, my mom, parents, take note. You can say some stuff that may be a little off-key. 
<laughs> he said, my mom told me, she said, why are you trying to, trying to apologize and make things right with this kid again? And I said, because we've been, we've been uh, 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 in church, we've been talking about forgiveness and grace and mercy and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm trying to, like, actually show that. Whoa, there's a thought. I actually try to show what we learn in church. And so he's like, man, I'm trying to show this, right? And, and his mom goes, says this. This is what he told me his mom said. She said, some people are unforgivable. And if you are trying to rationalize why you should forgive somebody like that, maybe you're unforgivable too. <laughs> Parent of the year award goes to, right? Like, why, like, listen, but here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. I'd like to say that I never heard stuff like that in my life. But me and my mom used to have these crazy knockdown, drag out fights where she'd say some ratchet stuff to me, and it'd blow my mind. I'd be like, man, she's an adult. She thinks like this. We're all, we're all in trouble, right? Like, we can think some things. My point in saying that is this. We can sometimes in our mind, we can talk about grace. We can talk about mercy. We can talk about forgiveness so much where it becomes like, you know, just a- another thing. And then we forget to actually apply it how Jesus tells us to apply it. And sometimes that works outwardly to other people where we kind of block off people in our minds that are unforgivable or sometimes that works inwardly and I've struggled with this personally in in feeling like we ourselves are actually forgiven. Actually, like I used to struggle with believing that God didn't look at me from a place of judgment anymore or like tapping his toe like waiting for me to get it right. And, and, And it took me a while to actually grasp that God doesn't look at me like that anymore. He looks at me with love and admiration and grace, right, and patience. And so we can sometimes wrestle with this. So I'm so excited to talk about Saul today because for those of you who struggle with either side of that, like me, or maybe both sides of that, this one's for us, right? This one's for you, okay? I don't know why you kiss a cup when it cheers, but that's what I did hmm, for the homies. So so here's why it's important. I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory for Saul of Tarsus. If you don't know a lot about Saul, Saul is Paul, okay? But it's Paul like in the prequel. So before he was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul was a bad dude. I'm not talking bad like Michael Jackson bad with the zipper jacket. I'm talking bad like he was a scary guy, okay? Saul, little backstory for you. Saul was born in Tarsus, which is the area that we would know as Turkey, right? And then this family relocated to Jerusalem, which is a Jewish culture, society. It's, it's, it's a big deal, right? And so he grew up in a Jewish, Jewish society. By the age of 10, 12, 15, he began studying with a rabbi, a well-esteemed rabbi in the area whose name was Gamaliel, Gamaliel, right? And <laughs> Gamaliel was a Pharisee. We all know that term. He was a Pharisee, right? And he was also a member of the Sanhedrin, which is like the high Jewish court. So this dude was like, he was about his Judaism, feel me? Like legalistic, whatever. So Saul, being raised in Jerusalem, under a well-esteemed rabbi, Pharisee, Sanhedrin member, he was being taught and poured into. He was a protege from a young age about how to be, I mean, he was indoctrinated and, and it was ingrained in him from a young age of this is Jewish law, this is Jewish custom, this is what we do to honor God, this does not honor God, this is blasphemy, this is right, this is law, this is not. And it was just, it made him a machine. He was a machine for Judaism, right? And so he was about it. So Saul, when we get this, 
Saul would have been going through that. And about the time that he's introduced into scripture is when we see persecution of the church. If you don't know that word, that word just means people coming at the church, right? Literally the church buildings and the church as far as God's people trying to tear apart and destroy the church. So as persecution of the church is ramping up, here comes Paul. Dun, dun, dun. Paul steps into this story. I got the scripture for you. I'm not going to read it verbatim from scripture, but I have the reference for you. Uh, Acts 7, uh, verse 58 is about the time that Saul comes into it. And when Saul's coming into it, it's when we find in the Bible that a young man named Stephen is being martyred. If you don't know that word, that means persecuted, ultimately murdered for his faith. He would be known later on as the first Christian martyr. The very first Christian martyr. So Saul was there in that moment when the first Christian that we have recorded would be killed, right? And so Saul's there, and in uh, verse 58, it says, um, it says that the part that I wrote that I was going to, there you go. Uh, they dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, check this out, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. When you research this, they even say some members of the Sanhedrin, the high Jewish court system, laid their coats at the feet of Saul. Here's what this looks like, okay? Yo, they, they started to roll up their sleeves to stone Stephen, Right? But they were like, oh, hold on, let me take this jacket off because it's about to get messy. And they walk over to Saul, and Saul, like a mafia boss, is like, I'm not getting my hands dirty. I'm just, you know, I'm going to watch. And they walk over to Saul, and they give Saul their coats. They're like, hey, watch, watch my junk. Don't let anybody steal my iPhone when I'm killing this dude, right? And so they lay all their stuff with Saul, and Saul stands by. We also have another clue into this because in a later book of Acts, Saul says he's talking with God. God is telling him what to do, and he's replying to God and is going, but God, you know how guilty I was. I mean, I actually stood there, and I approved when they killed Stephen. So Saul is standing there at the persecution and the martyrdom of the first Christian brother, right? And he's standing there watching as people laid their coats there and they killed him. If you don't know the whole story, Stephen, go back and read it in the previous chapter. Stephen was wiling out. Stephen was, I'm talking Nick Cannon level, wiling out. He was uh, in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court system, and they're like, okay, listen, just renounce your God, blah, blah, blah. And Stephen is like, no, 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 no. Why would I renounce my God? Y'all need to repent because y'all are the ones that crucified Jesus. Y'all are morons. And, I mean, he's going off. And so they're like, all right, coats off, you're dead, right? And so the whole time Saul is standing there. And then in the first verse, verse of chapter 8, it says this simply. It says, and Saul approved of their killing him. Saul stood there, watched, held the belongings of the people in the crowd that were cheering on the killing of a Christian for the simple fact that they were a Christian. And he watched and applauded and approved the killing of a Christian. Philippians 4, or Philippians 3, 4 through 6, I have this one for you too. This is where Saul in his own words tells us how into it he was. He says this, though I myself for some re ha have some reasons for such confidence. He's telling off of something he said in a verse prior where he's like, yo, if anybody out there is bragging about how great they are according to the law, they need to cut all that because this is why I have the right to talk over them. He says this, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. I, if somebody else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
I was circumcised on the eighth day, swerve, uh, of people, I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In, the reg- in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, I'm faultless. He's spelling it out for us. You want to talk about being into this? I was a Pharisee. Nobody did better at this than me. You want to talk about zeal for the Jewish culture, the Jewish uh, uh, system? I killed people, put people in jail. I persecuted the church. It was a bragging right for me. That's how against this whole thing I was. As far as righteousness according to the law, Old Testament law, righteousness according to that, I'm perfect. Perfect. That's Solomon's own words. So scripture then goes on to say this back in Acts 8, 1 through 3. Sorry, I'm jumping around, but I'm trying to piece together his identity for you. Uh, Verses 1 through 3, it says this. It says, after Stephen was persecuted, martyred, eventually died, ultimately died from the stoning, it says that persecution broke out among the Christian community, among the church. And people were just fleeing. They were terrified. They were running. They were hiding. They were trying to go somewhere where they could live out their faith but still not put their families in danger because Saul was merciless. He didn't care who you were, what your family was doing. He would find you. He would take you. So they ran. Saul goes to the courts, goes to the officials, and he asked essentially for a warrant. It's like, yo, give me permission. I will be your guy. I will be the bounty hunter. That's how motivated by this I am. That's how much hatred motivated him. He said, let me be the guy to go out, find Christians, and bring them back here and get justice for them. So they're like, all right, cool, bet. You do it, we won't do it. They give him a warrant. He goes out. He takes these paperwork, this do- these documents. He receives word that Christians are fleeing to a, a town called Damascus, right? And so he sets out on his journey. He's out for blood. He's out for justice as far as uh, Judaism is concerned, as far as that society is concerned. And he goes out looking for Christians. He is ready to find them and to do some work, right? And so here is where I'm actually going to tell you exactly what the Bible says because I can't say it any better than this. Acts chapter 9 says this, Paul, Saul at the time is on his way to find more Christians, motivated by hate, motivated to get what he feels like uh, as punishment for them, going against his God, his way of doing things. It says this, meanwhile, Saul was still, bring- and just buckle up for me, put your, I'm going to, you know, put your listening ears on. Turn them all the way up because I'm going to read you this this passage, okay? It says this, meanwhile, my love note, meanwhile, Saul is still breathing. Good thing I landed face down. Anyway, okay. So meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats, murderous threats. Against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that, he, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, with a capital W, I like that, the way, a.k.a. Jesus, right? Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem as he neared Damascus on his journey. Here we go. Redemption. Suddenly, a light 
from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Notice this. Jesus is not there. Saul was born after Jesus left the earth. Jesus was not actually there. Saul was not fist fighting Jesus. But Jesus still says he takes ownership of his people. He takes ownership of the church. He says, why do you persecute me? Saul goes, who are you, Lord? Don't try to play dumb now, sucker. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. Because they heard the sound, but they couldn't see anybody. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. Picture this. Picture this, Saul on a war path. People are terrified of him. Now in an instant, he's having to be guided by other people, helpless, into a city. In an instant, stripped of everything he knew. For three days he was blind, didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. He said, Ananias, that's subtle. Yes, God? The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on the street called Straight. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul because he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Check this out. Lord, Ananias said, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with all authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But God, I've heard about this guy. This guy has a reputation. This guy cannot be used by you. He's a jerk. He's a deadbeat. Do you see how he talks to people? Do you see? Do you guys, does this, make, does this ring any bells for anybody? We do this. But God, why would that person be able to do stuff for you? Because I'm like this and Saul's like that and blah, 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 right? And this is what God says. He says, hey, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house. Ananias, I said to do something. Go do it. Ananias didn't go, all right, I'll get around to it. All right, but let me pray a little more about it. Let me, I mean, you know, I mean, I know, I feel like, I feel like God's, call, I really feel like God's calling me, but I'm just going to really bathe this in prayer. I'm really going to like, you know, I'm going to ask some people to fast for me, and I'm going to, no, 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 no. Saul, or Ananias, I said to go find Saul. Go. And he says, well, he didn't say much of anything. He said, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. He just did it. Listen to me. He just did it. He just did it. He got up. He went to the house, entered it, didn't say a word, walked in, placed his hands on Saul. He said this, brother Saul. Stop. Pause. In his conversation with the Lord, he's giving all these reasons why he would never, ever, ever trust Saul. Saul Watched 
as they stoned a man to death and applauded. He has every reason to not trust Saul. But God said, go. He's my instrument. He is my, I still want him. He is mine. Go. He went. And the crazy thing that blows my mind, I read this and, and I underlined in like triple underlined Brother Saul because he approached him and he didn't approach him with skepticism. He didn't let Saul know how he was really feeling. He went with what the Lord told him to go with. And so when he steps to Saul, he doesn't go, all right, listen, don't try to stab me. Don't try to arrest me. I'm going to need to see some ID. I'm going to need your bodyguard to guard me this time. Okay? Otherwise, you're not getting your sight back. He didn't do any. He walked in, entered the house, laid hands on him, and he addresses him as brother. Brother Saul. My brother Saul. Brother, not friend. Not sir. Mr. Mr. of Tarsus, I'm sorry. Brother Saul, let that sit for a second. The Lord told him to do something. The Lord told him to reach out to somebody he was uncomfortable with. And instead of reaching out with skepticism or any of the baggage he would bring, he reached out with the authority the Lord gave him, with the command that the Lord gave him, and he addressed him how the Lord would address him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit immediately. You guys catching these transitions? Immediately. When you're obedient to God, when you're obedient without dilly-dallying around, I'm not saying it always works. I'm not a name it, claim it guy. But obedience does something. Listening to God when he, when he clearly asks us to do something, it generates results. It says, immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. Check this out. Then he got up, and he was baptized. And after eating some food, because that's what all Christians do after we do something special. <laughs> he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues. Man, oh, man. One day, persecuting the church. Next day, vision taken. Couple days later, man walks in, prays over him, calls him brother, instantly baptized. Then, without wasting any time, he gets to the work that God has called him to do. He didn't have to pray about an approach. He didn't have to fast about it. He saw what was right in front of him, and he said, let's get it popping. And he went and did it. How many of us, how different would things look if we started seeing things like that and said, you know what? I know what I'm supposed to do. This is clear about what I'm supposed to do. I know the Lord has called me to forgive and to love and to tell other people. What if I just did it? What if I stopped thinking about how to do it and I just did it? What kind of results would we generate? Saul just got to it. He didn't go, man, you don't know about my past though. I can't go talk to these people. I was just arresting these people. He walked out. He said, who's ready to listen? Because anybody that's ready to listen, I'm ready to tell. He got to it. I love this. It says this. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't that the man who was raising havoc in Jerusalem? It's his old identity. People knew him. And hasn't he come here to take prisoners 
to the chief priest. Yet, but, side note, in addition to, same time, simultaneously, while people were still peddling his bad reputation. He got a bad reputation, got a bad reputation. <laughs> Listen to me. At the same time, somebody's over here running their mouth, wait a minute, I know about him, don't trust him. Same time, he's not waiting to clear his name. He's not waiting to argue with people about what he used to do. He's not concerned with those things that he used to be concerned with. They can have all that. They can think what they want because as we say in the South, the proof is in the pudding. And he said, you can talk all you want. I'm going to do what I know I'm supposed to do. And it changed people's perception of him. By just doing what he knew he should do. No arguments, no Facebook posts, nothing. Just doing it, just obedience. Said this, but Saul grew more and more powerful. And he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone, there was a conspiracy. Check this out, a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him. He was just conspiring to kill Christians. Now the Jews conspired to kill him because now he's a Christian. How the tables have turned. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy from the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. This is hood, y'all. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. How many of us do that when somebody walks into church and they look a little bit sketch? We're like, what are they here for? What are they here? How? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because we've all probably done it. But when that one person walks in and kind of interrupts your norm, how do you react? Because it says here that disciples didn't want to accept him. Disciples were skeptical of him. Because of his past. They were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple himself. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So they were like, all right, listen, we don't know what to do with them. Y'all, y'all big bros, y'all, y'all handle it because we everybody's freaked out. Y'all just take him. Right? So they handed him off. But when they handed him off, they said this: his identity begins to change. Redemption is setting in, and everybody's finding out. He told them how Saul on his journey seen the Lord. That the Lord spoke to him, and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Story goes on. That's where I'm going to stop. So he goes from Saul to Paul. Saul, the thug, the bounty hunter. Instantaneously blinded on his way in progress. There's a message there, but I'm not going to preach that. In the middle, right in the midst of doing evil. He wasn't in church. He wasn't breaking bread at the table with all the barefooted disciples. He, I don't know why it matters they were barefooted, but they were, okay. And he wasn't, he wasn't doing something holy. He was doing something sacrilegious. He was doing something against Jesus. He was doing something to bring destruction and to tear down the church that God was in process of building. He was in the middle of doing evil. He was on his way. And in that moment, God came to him. In that moment is when he encountered the presence of God. And when he encountered the presence of God, it was so powerful that he didn't have any other arguments, didn't have any other choice, didn't have any other excuse 
He just submitted. We're talking about being redeemed. And for some of us in that moment, we've had that moment. I've had that moment. I've encountered God. I've experienced God. I've seen God work. I've been through trials where I questioned if God was working. And then I've experienced God in the midst of that, in the midst of depression, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of anger. I've told you guys about this. And God keeps proving himself to me. We struggle to see us as redeemed. Yeah, but why would God forgive me? Why would God want me? Yeah, but that's them. We romanticize people in the Bible because they're like the here, you know, uh, uh, kids books, like in Christian bookstores, they have like, you know, kids action Bibles. And they make like Samson, like, you know, like Samson's like a superhero. And, so, and Paul is like a superhero, you know, he's like a, he's got a long beard and he looks like Raiden from Mortal Kombat. And like, we like, we make these dudes, we make these dudes seem superhuman. But if we look at what this is, I would venture to say there's not a worse candidate to do God's work at the time than Saul. But Saul is who God picked. But Saul is who God picked. And then on the other side of that, Christians look at him and go, there's no way God would pick Saul. He's the last person God would pick. And they use that as a reason to disqualify him. And they're like, yo, he can't chill with us. He's too dangerous. He's too, uh, we know about his past. We already know. I know what God said, but look at what he's doing. We all are still caught in that today. I know what God said. God said he forgives. God said he loves. God, sa- God said that about me. I know what God says. But, I, I mean, I don't know how I can really apply that here. I don't know how that applies to me. Guys, I don't know what it is, but I know that there is something because we're not untouchable. We're not unbreakable. We're not unreachable by the things of this life, the things of this world, struggles that we go through. We all have a struggle. We all have doubts. We all have reasons why we might disqualify ourselves Scripture tells us over and over that God picks the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God picks what's weak in the world's sight to overpower the things of the world. If that's you today, and the band can come back up, but if that's you, and you're on one or the other side of that, I don't know. I know what I've been doing. I feel guilty. I know what I've been looking at. I know who I've been hanging with. I know what I've been saying out there. I know how I've been treating people. I know the kind of stuff I've been saying on Facebook or Twitter, Lord help me. I'm about to delete all social media because I, <laughs> I don't know what to do. I get on there and I'm like, what's going on? We all know all that. We all carry our own luggage, our own baggage, our own grief. Saul, why are you person? No, okay. <laughs> We all carry all that. So you're your own worst critic. You're your own worst judge. Jesus doesn't judge you as as harshly as you judge you. This may be, to me, the prime example of what it means to be redeemed. You take somebody who was destroying the church, destroying Christians, set out to smother out Christianity, 
And in the midst of that, God turns them, flips their world upside down, gives them a new name. To go along with it, he gets a new, or a new identity. And to go along with it, he gets a new name, Saul to Paul. Changed one letter. I don't know how that works, but he did it. If you don't know if God wants to use you, if you don't know if God has a plan for your life, if you don't know if you're good enough, forgiven enough, loved enough, special enough, talented enough, good-looking enough, charismatic enough, whatever it is that you don't know if you measure up to or not, let me answer that question for you. Yes. Jesus looks at all of us the exact same way he looked at Saul of Tarsus. Not Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And he says the same thing. He says, and somebody's over here asking, but God, you know their reputation like Ananias was. When we, even when we do that, God replies to him the same way. Go. They are my chosen instrument. You are my chosen instrument. I have called you to something special, even if you don't understand what it is yet. It's there. It's real. I want you. And there's nobody and nothing too broken or too far gone for me to get and bring back and make whole again and to use again. If Saul could do it, you could do it. If Saul could change, you could change. Don't go change your name to Paul. Take a different letter and do it. Let me pray for you. God. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.